across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies! My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon, welcome to Flavour, an hour of news and stories about food and drink in and around Cambridge. I'm Matt Bentman, and here are Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with some details of what we will be featuring today. We're visiting Vanderlyle to hear about their reopening for indoor dining, and about the extraordinary new dish that they're developing right now. The fish butchery is extending its opening hours. We'll get details of that and the menus that will go with the new times. The wine rooms in Hills Road has opened with an excellent menu and a superb selection of wine. And we'll be talking to Alex Crepe of Amelie about the new menu there and to Matt Hodgson of Great Britannia where there is a double celebration going on. And Rosie Sykes will be joining us for the first of her features on ideas for making jams from the fruits that are in season. But first, recruitment. At the end of every flavour, we have a job section where we list jobs available in the local food and hospitality sector. Now that list has been growing recently as more businesses seek staff at all levels. Some places can't open full-time because they can't get the staff they need, and therefore takings are significantly reduced. And when they are open, their capacity is much less due to social distancing. It's a real double whammy. We put the question to a few local businesses who've experienced this directly. First, here is Alex Crepe of Amelie Restaurant in the Grafton Centre. Most restaurants in England have European staff. Our restaurant is, is fully European. Now, when lockdown first started, 20% of restaurants closed, 10% of hotels. So all those members of staff are already unemployed. A lot of them have gone back to their country. Now, with the travel restrictions that we currently have due to COVID, no one's flying around. Even France is struggling because there's no one going in and out. And now there's not many restaurants that are run by the whole team of the village. Now things are starting to open up, might improve, but we've got Brexit in England. Immigration within the UK is being made very difficult at the moment. You have to have a minimum salary to get foreign staff to work in your restaurant or in your business. That minimum salary cannot be completed. Unless people are willing to pay more for the food, which is something that people aren't willing to do. In fact, people want to pay less for food. There is a cauldron of situations that have all melted into one that have made it difficult for our industry and staffing. That's my personal view. It will improve when no idea. I'd like to say when things start opening up, but when will that be? England's not a country that has been built off hospitality, although it should. We're an island, we're a beautiful island. We've got the most amazing fish, agriculture, products coming from the UK are so good. And yet we don't think hospitality is a main industry. We don't even have a minister of hospitality. We don't have one. So without a culture in hospitality and us thinking that is an industry where people can make a living All of those things put together have made it extremely difficult for finding kitchen staff. Here's Richard Stokes of the Fish Butchery on Mill Road. 
Can I ask you about recruitment and whether it's been difficult recruiting staff? No, uh, we're just looking at the moment to put an advert on social media yesterday for some evening casual wait staff. But Chef's been relatively easy to find. We had some contacts in Cambridge, obviously. Been cooking here for 25 years. So we have a team of six now. We just need a, a few casual wait staff, uh, primarily for evenings. A lot of places have been saying that finding staff is very difficult. So really it's through personal contact, is it? Yes, yeah. I do understand that lots of people have left Cambridge or, or, or wanted to be out of the trade or gone home, especially foreign staff members, which is understandable. But no, we've found them quite easy to find at the moment. Hopefully that continues. Back to Alex Creppy from Amelie Restaurant briefly. I've put applications on the biggest websites for recruitment. Decent salary, decent hours, like better than most of the competition. Not one application. I've got colleagues that have put salaries up, like to an extent of a very, very well-paid job in chefing, still not getting applications. And here is John Jasvilovich of the Wine Rooms on Hills Road. As a new place, has it been easy to recruit staff? In a word, no. I've done this a few times, mainly in London. I must say it's been unparalleled, really, to try and find staff at at every level. I think we've been quite lucky and we've got a a great team, but it's been quite a challenge to find and secure. Yeah, Okay. And finally, back to Alex. For us, it's directly in the kitchen. Speaking to my other restaurateurs, friends, even friends abroad as well in France, they're having a similar issue where they just can't find staff. I disagree with anyone who says that it's low-skilled, Hospitality isn't a low skill. Managing a kitchen isn't plating a nice piece of food and serving it to customers. It's, there's all back of house to make sure that there's stock management, safety in the kitchen, cleanliness, rotor management, rotation of food. There's so much stuff to be done back of house that no one ever talks about. The only reason people know about that is they see kitchen nightmares and they see Gordon Ramsay open a fridge and there's a 30-day-old chicken in the back or something like that. Do you know what I mean? As you said, you're getting a lot more applications saying we need front of house, we need back of house. Um, in kitchen, we're just not finding applicants. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, yeah, you get emotional about it and you get upset about it because it's you love something so much, and unfortunately, it's just difficult finding people to 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 find the same passion. Scott's all day on Mill Road has had to reduce its opening hours because it can't get enough chefs, and a quarter of restaurants haven't even reopened yet. So, what will the staffing situation be like when they do? Well. Several hours prior to this broadcast, the trade body UK Hospitality published its 12-point plan, working with the government and the Department for Work and Pensions to promote jobs, focusing on chefing and front-of-house staff in particular, to help overcome things such as reduced opening hours. And looking to the long term, they want to check out how the new immigration system affects the ability of the hospitality sector to maintain itself and prosper as we go forward. I guess the question is, will such proposals be enough? The first of our news breaks now, beginning with food vans. Uh, Remember to order in advance from these. Tonight, Saturday, Gorilla Kitchen is at Thirsty in Chesterton Road from 5 till 8. Steak and Honour is at Wild Sky Brewery in Linton from 5 till 8. And Kura Kura is at Checkers in Gaisley and that's from 5 till 8 too. Also tonight, Dot's Hot Chicken Trailer is making its first appearance on the streets and it's doing it in Waterbeach at Pastor Brewery in Convent Drive from 12 till 6pm. 
City Boys will be making their first appearance at the Queen's Head in Newton tomorrow, Sunday, from 12 till 3pm. On Tuesday at Brewboard in Harston, the England vs Czech Republic game is on the big screen and you can book a table. Pimp My Fish is providing the food. At Thirsty in Chesterton Road on Wednesday the 23rd of June, it's Hanoi Royce Hat. 24th is Pizza Mondo and the 25th Balkan Express. And we'll have another news update for you later in the programme. The Finn Boys Fish Butchery on Mill Road is such an exciting development. I tried a jar of their octopus ragu during the week and it was stunningly good. Generous pieces of octopus in a superb sauce. On co-founder Richard Stokes' suggestion, I had it with a chunky pasta and sprinkled it with grated lemon. Fantastic. Uh, And the restaurant is now open in the evenings uh, and there are more extensions to its opening hours on the way. I spoke with Richard about it on a busy mill road on Tuesday. Richard, you're opening for Sunday brunch. Yes, 27th is we're the first opening and we're going to stay open on Sundays as we go forward. We're going to start shutting on Mondays and Tuesdays rather than Sundays and Mondays. So Sunday we're going to be serving brunch from 10.30 till 3. Um, and what sort of things? Menus will be online in the next week or so. Obviously all fish. We're experimenting at the moment with uh, swordfish bacon and we've got um, fish sausages so there will be a fry up of sorts on there lots of eggs it'll be quite egg centric but lots of light dishes and salads and still favorites like oysters and gravlax will be on there so yeah we'll be serving from from 10 30 till 3 and you've started opening in the evenings as well yes indeed yeah we started on thursday and we'll be open for evening meals from wednesday through to saturday um it will be um, a tasting menu of seven to ten courses are they smallish courses yes yeah tasting menu and that will be 50 pounds per person and we will be offering vegetarian alternatives but we'd like to know in advance when you book if you wanted a vegetarian tasting menu um we don't upset alex down the road vandalada is not what we specialize in uh, we want to sell fish but obviously if there's a vegetarian in the party that, that's fine also yep some ideas of menu items at the moment we have a framework of a, of a menu we're going to leave it purposely vague the menu and, and change it daily as well anyway so so um sorry that i can't be much help there alan but um <laughs> yeah we, we'll be changing it daily um but obviously the vegetables we'll be getting at the moment will be obviously we've got lots of nice morels around and english peas and broad bean seasons just started so they'll feature on the menu there'll always be our favorite aged tuna dish on the menu and then we'll oysters will be a shellfish um, course there will be a raw fish course there'll be some cooked fish course and then some cheese and and dessert as well along with that plus two or three little surprises thrown in right so after opening in the evening and doing sunday brunches are there any any future plans yes between our lunch service finishing at three and our dinner service starting at 6 30 we'll be offering an all-day menu serving oysters and champagne and and um, simply cooked shellfish um, freedom air platters um, prawns you know nice shellfish things to eat in the afternoons so yeah just fill that gap in really between 3 and 6 30. yeah any idea when that's likely to start within the next month oh, really? again oh. being as fake as i am alan sorry <laughs> um yeah with it within the next month yeah yeah great even more things to look forward to yes indeed yeah thanks richard thank you richard stokes from the fish butchery there more news now Stem and Glory has opened at 50 to 60 Station Road. You can book a table online or order food online via their website.
Many congratulations to Sam Dyer from Cambridge Sustainable Food for her MBE, awarded for her work in tackling food inequality. Flourish, the farm near Linton, is hosting three field-to-loaf workshops. Each will last a day and you'll learn about ancient grains and about how to thresh, minnow and stone mill. And telling you all they know about bread making will be either Katie from Allotment Bakery or Helen Evans from Floor by London's Borough Market, depending on which date you choose. The dates are Saturday the 21st of August with Katie and Sunday the 22nd and Monday the 23rd of August with Helen. You can book via the Flourish website. After a few days' closure for work in the basement in preparation for events, Thrive is back open and features a new extended breakfast menu. And there's a market tomorrow, Sunday, at Trumpington Meadows outside Sainsbury's. It's running from 12 noon till 3pm. It features over 20 sellers, including several food vendors, such as the Pimp My Fish food van, Nonna's Lab, CB21 Cheesecakes, Cambridge Luxury Bakes and Fudge Apron. Uh, if you subscribe to Vandelisle's emails, and I'd recommend them, they're full of interest, uh, you'll know that they're reopening for eat-in dining very soon. I spoke with Alex Rushma and Lawrence Butler about what's been going on behind the scenes, and to Sam, who's the drinks wizard. Alex, when's Vandelisle reopening? We are reopening on the 6th of July. We've got a couple of weeks when we're doing some dummy runs and practice services for friends and family, but we are reopening as normal or as normal as we can be on July the 6th. Right. Why do you need to do dummy runs? You've done it all before. (laughs) Well, we're more well practiced at putting food in boxes than on plates and all of us are out of practice we're not match fit so we thought a few services when we can have a friendly crowd in when it doesn't matter too much if we're (laughs) making mistakes would be quite sensible and for us it doesn't feel like a reopening it feels like a brand new restaurant and certainly the last few days with wine arriving with new kit arriving it feels like a fresh opening rather than a reopening and any new restaurant We'll have a soft launch period anyway, so that's what we've. That's the that's the attitude that we've been taking. Well, uh, if it feels like a new restaurant, are the changes to the menu or the things that you're you're working on? Uh, yeah, we've we've been we've been using some of the uh, some of the time we weren't operating as a as a takeaway over the last year, doing doing all kinds of uh, development, which is something we possibly never gave ourselves as much time to do before so it's been really exciting to see what we uh, what we can come up with and we're really excited to share it with uh, everyone else when, when right. they come. so what are you coming up with at the moment <laughs> so there's a there's a few little dishes one of one of the new ones is kind of a variation on a cambridge burnt cream uh, but a savory version thereof so we're using we use fresh peas uh, and uh, trying to do uh, yeah a, a more interesting uh, savory version thereof so so it's a burnt cream with what with peas in it? Yeah, so you'd make the the, the kind of custard base for it, um, set custard. Uh, but we're incorporating fresh pea and juicing pea pods, trying to get it as as fresh and kind of yeah springy, summery as possible. We're trying to get it to taste as pea as we can. Um, so trying to incorporate as many pea elements into that, so that it doesn't doesn't really taste like a custard anymore. It right. tastes 
yeah, like types of peas. Yeah, but exactly. can you can you see the peas or are they blended in? So we'll be garnishing it with some fresh pea elements, but um, obviously the, the custard itself is is a is a, is, is yeah, a smooth custard. Smooth, yeah. <laughs> wow. And how's that turning out? Have you had to have several goes at it, or, or so what? And what are you looking for? Version one was was last week, just more of a proof of concept. But uh, it's right today we're working on a few a few different iterations of it to make sure we've got it exactly right for when people come in. Right. I think the most challenging bit of it is, is firstly getting the custard to taste enough of fresh pea, um, but also a Cambridge burnt cream isn't a Cambridge burnt cream without a crack, uh, a crackable top, mm. um, and trying to make sure that we have that effect and that impact without making it too sweet is part of the challenge as well. So we're, we're experimenting with sugars that don't have as much of a sweetness as regular caster sugar. Um, so there's all sorts, of, you know, we've got five or six different elements in this one dish, um, which is one part of a sort of 10, 11 course menu. Um, and we're hoping that now we have enough time to dedicate to each element on each dish. But your menu changes, what, fortnightly? So, I mean, can you, can you carry on like this, doing a lot of development? Because two weeks later, it's gone again. Uh, we're, we're actually going to change the menu with less frequency going forward. Um, we we realised that we spent a lot of time getting a dish right and then putting it on the menu and then as soon as it was right and on the menu it was time to change it again and we sort of backed ourselves into, into a corner that forced us into making these changes to dishes. So we think we can be more creative by changing the frequency, changing the menu it, it did lead to us trying a lot of different techniques and interesting things in the first year that we were open though, which now we can take those experiences and focus them down into something that can stay on the menu for longer and hopefully be a more enjoyable experience for the customers as well. And I think the dish like the, the pea burnt cream, that's something where the, the theme will remain possibly for, you know, for 12 months, but the flavours of it will change. So you can... Perhaps if you booked a table in, in May, it would be based on an asparagus dish. So it would still be the same concept, um, but then come back in the autumn and it would be more mushroomy, more earthy, possibly with something like truffle and cheese. Um, Can you foresee a sprout burnt cream? <laughs> I, mean, that, I feel like that would be a split. What sure. are the limits? <laughs> <laughs> I can see some, you know, sort of brassica base, or maybe with something like red cabbage. I think would work, and then perhaps garnished with some some lacto fermented Brussels sprouts. But I don't know whether that sounds as appealing as a truffle version. <laughs> okay, and what, what other things you've been working on? I've been working on desserts. Yeah. A new pastry chef joined us. Pretty much as lockdown started uh, just over a year ago, and um, we're incredibly excited to um, to share the, the work that Camilla's been doing over the last year or so. And actually, we're I think we're just as excited as well to, to see what um, to see what Camilla comes up with. Um, but we've been you know we've been tasting, we've been trialing. Um, and we've, we've got a full menu run through on Saturday, so it's actually the first time that I think any of us will get to taste Camilla's creations. Mm, right. so Exciting times. It's, uh, it's going to be wonderful. Right. And the booking arrangements, you've changed from the weekly booking system. We're going back to a monthly reservation system, which is how we operated before the pandemic. 
um, reservations for the following month will be released on the first Tuesday of the previous month. So July is currently fully booked. Um, the response really? The, July's fully booked? July's so. fully booked. The response to that was phenomenal. But it only uh, went up, what, two days ago, was it? Uh, Tuesday evening, yes. Yeah, and as <laughs> so of, a day and a half. And yeah. as of Wednesday morning, they were, they were completely... It is booked. like getting a Glastonbury <laughs> ticket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so reservations for July will be made available on... Sorry, reservations for August will be made available on the 6th of July. Right, Sam, any, any news on, on, on drinks? Um, so we've uh, extended our drinks pairings uh, to a flight of five glasses and we've kind of given our 12 months, 14 months to develop more soft drinks pairings. Um, so more in line with the kombucha and uh, kind of seasonal foraging, elderflower, rose um, and some cola herb syrups as well, um, which we're looking to, to kind of offer within the menu as well. Right, it looks to me when, when I came here, um, and had a meal that an awful lot of work goes into the drinks I mean they're not something you just more, more so than people think, I think they're not something you just produce overnight no uh, I mean so the kombucha is you know a 10 day for men and then we have to bottle it and kind of treat it in a similar way of, as wine so it goes goes into a bottle and then we second ferment it as well for another seven days um, and then it goes on to our menu so it's been in a work in progress for about a month or so to, to get it ready to, to open. It's a long process and you know it takes probably 20-30 hours to, to do the soft drinks pairings uh, per week so yeah it is labour intensive but it's enjoyable. It is and they're very good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much Sam. You're welcome. And Alex when you do reopen what are the hours going to be the days and the hours uh, we will still be operating a four day week so we'll be offering four services per week um, the majority of those will be evening services but every other Saturday um, we won't be doing an evening service we'll be doing a lunch service instead and the the, the thinking behind this is that we all have a life as well and the very much the underlying philosophy behind the restaurant is that it needs to be a sustainable experience and a sustainable working week and we all have a life outside of work um, and I think one sacrifice that a lot of people who work in hospitality have to make is that they never get to Saturday night mm. um, and we want to go out and eat and we want to go out and see friends and we want to have people around for dinner and cook for our friends and family as well as our brilliant diners. So And occasionally see our significant others. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we thought that um, so good practice would be to um, twice a month allow people to book a lunch reservation which you know some people equally some people don't always want to go out for dinner on the Saturday yeah. and lunch is a, a preferable option for a lot of people um, so we managed to find two solutions in one um, uh, every other every other week it sounds like a great idea okay thanks thanks very much Lawrence. thanks, thanks very much. much thank you and Sam thanks to Alex Lawrence and Sam from van der Lyle. And they've also spent a lot of time ensuring it's a safe place to eat, like increasing the airflow from the air conditioning, having a good space between tables and improving the spacing at the pass, giving the staff temperature checks twice a day and lateral flow tests weekly. So I think you can feel safe there. One of the many nice things about summer and its glut of fresh fruit is the opportunity it gives to make jam. Here in the first of a new series, local chef Rosie Sykes brings us some really tasty ideas for jams, beginning with rhubarb. 
Hi, Alan. There's lots of um, rhubarb about, even though it's the more outdoor stuff. So I do a lovely rhubarb jam with pink grapefruit, which is such a delicious combination. Um, and it just requires the juice and zest of a couple of grapefruits with about a kilo of rhubarb. That my, one of my secrets to really good jam making, I think, is you combine all the ingredients with the sugar the night before. So what that does is it draws a lot of the liquid out of the fruit. So when you start cooking it, you don't have to worry about it sticking so much. So yes, there's lovely rhubarb around at the moment. I also think rhubarb and cardamom is a fantastic combination with a bit of lemon zest, maybe even some rose water. Um, I've done rhubarb and rose is lovely. Uh, the only thing with rose petals is that although it looks absolutely beautiful when you're making it, as you can imagine, um, the rose petals in the sugar syrup tend to go quite tough. So then when you put it on your toast, you sort of get some quite chewy, chewy, not very flavorful bits that think you might think, oh, gosh, someone's left some paper. in here. <laughs> The best thing would be if you could scoop them out. But that equally is quite a lot of work. One thing I've done is sort of finely chop the rose petals and then it's only it's more like having confetti in your jam. I don't think there's a I don't think there's an answer to that little conundrum. When you say about adding the sugar to draw out the water, do you yeah. still you still need to add water though? No, you shouldn't need to. Ah. You shouldn't need to. So it makes it a much easier process. What about things like pectin? Do you have to add pectin or anything? I personally always use jam sugar. And the so that's got pectin in it. Yes, it has. Um, right. And the reason I use jam sugar is because it means that you can, I personally think, use a little bit less sugar and cook the, the fruit for less time because you don't have to boil it to sort of reduce it because you've got the pectin added into the jam sugar. So it makes it set quicker, basically. Uh, yeah. What sort of amount of, of sugar would you add if you're using a kilo? So of they always, the old fashioned idea is one to one uh, oh. for a really good set. But I would say if I was doing a kilo of fruit, I would probably do 750 of sugar. Again, this can make the jam a little bit less. It'll be fine once you've jarred it up. But once you've opened a jar of jam, which is a bit less sugar must keep it in the fridge because it will it won't it won't it'll spoil much more easily so i find that with my marmalade which is a very different kind of marmalade with quite a bit less sugar um i tend to leave it out because i'm a renegade but it does become a little bit sometimes a bit fizzy which i quite like it's like having you know booze for breakfast but um <laughs> that's probably not to be encouraged and we'll be getting some ideas from Rosie for strawberry jams in our next programme. We're taking a two-minute break now, but don't go away. We'll be back with some visits to the new wine rooms in Hills Road, the new menu at Amelie, and a double celebration of Great Britannia, home of English and Welsh wines.
Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, you might have shopped at Joshua Taylor, gone roller skating at the Corn Exchange, and seen the Beatles perform live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back in time with hits and memories from the swinging decade. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sundays at 8am on the station that's live and local. Cambridge 105 Radio. Looking to buy a new home this summer but it feels out of reach? Think getting on the property ladder just isn't an option for you? Think again. New homes in Haverhill and Cottenham are available now with shared ownership with your mortgage deposit as low as from £4,000. The final two and three bedroom homes at Bower Place and Boyton Place also have exclusive incentive packages available worth over £2,500. With £1,000 shopping vouchers, £500 towards your solicitor's fees and three months rent free, book your viewing today to find out what's on offer. Reserve from just £99 and find your new home this summer. Think shared ownership, think complete moves. Visit complete-moves.co.uk or call 020-3640-7111 today. Terms and conditions apply. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment. Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715-715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. Cambridge 105 Radio Welcome back to Flavour and let's head over to Hills Road where, in the space vacated some time ago by Le Gros Franc, the very impressive wine rooms opened last week. I went along to chat with head chef Liz Young, well known to this programme from her work at the Modern Table, and to manager and wine expert John Jasvilovich. I began by asking Liz what was on the menu that day. Quite a lot. Dishes would be something like a veal tonata, we've got beef cheeks with scodalia, um, we've got fresh heritage tomatoes featuring some braised courgettes um, then during the day we try to do a lunch special uh, with this, a daily salad and we've got a Reuben sandwich on at the moment as well as a daily special we've got meat and cheese platter, really good quality um, we've got burrata with fennel pollen um, we've got some some pastrami chicken skins and parfait so there's small dishes for people to just pop in have a glass or two of wine and a nibble and um, there's also small dessert options as well like chocolate mousse panna cotta um, pistachio and lemon cake those sorts of things at the moment right well it's called the wine rooms uh, so is there advice on matching the food and the wine john indeed yes quite proud to have a, a good sommelier team with us so we've got a lot of lot of experience um, in in the wine world. So we don't want it to be an intimidating place. We don't want it to be a place that, that people feel they can't relax and just be themselves because, after all, it's just a glass of wine. 
but hopefully we can provide a lot of high quality options for people to to go with the beautiful food. I think for most people they choose their food from the menu and then they think well what wine should we have but you've got some fantastic wines up there do you do you like it to be the other way around that somebody sees that's a really nice wine and must drink that what will go well with it from the menu? Well, it's chicken and the egg, isn't it? I guess for wine people, there is a tendency to pick the wine first. What we have is uh, one, two, five mil measures. So it's a small glass of wine. And what we're definitely trying to encourage is, is, is a bit of experimentation and for people to share the food, hopefully get back to sharing food after the, the COVID times that we had and trying different wines with different dishes and seeing that it's very much an art. Uh, food and wine matching and although there may be uh, guidelines that you might be told to follow it's, it's, it's always quite nice when you try something that you don't expect to go with something and it goes very well um, we've paired the, the lovely heritage tomato and strawberry salad with a, a light red wine from northern Italy a Lagrain um, again not not an expensive wine but one that maybe people haven't heard before and um, maybe wouldn't have chosen a red wine with a salad, but it, it goes really well. I've had some great feedback from that. So that's the kind of thing we want to encourage and, 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 and show people. Yeah. So when, when you're designing the menu, Liz, are, are you bearing in mind what wines there are? Uh, I have some guidelines given to me. <laughs> Originally, there were specific points that they did mention, so I try to take that into... Um, account when I'm planning and we do a lot of tasting which is great <laughs> um, so there's lots of uh, probably we, they bring out about three different types of wines to try one dish to see which would be their recommendation would be um, which is great for me to learn as well um, and then we can tweak things as well and you've got really quite a big range of wines there are larger lists out there and we're not trying to be the biggest but we are trying to find interesting quality parcels of wine that we can showcase. We're not looking to tick every box, we're not looking to please everybody, we're just looking to find high quality interesting things. There are certain areas like Rome Valley uh, that we like, Northern Italy that, that we might uh, focus on. Um, but the main thing is that we want to keep it dynamic and changing. Um, and we're not going to have the same list this year as we do next year and the following year. Similarly, by the glass, that's going to be changing regularly as well. And that's part of the fun for us and on the food side to, to keep it kind of more interesting for us and for the customers. Yeah. So how many different by the glass wines are there available at any one time? Um, looking at about six or seven whites, six or seven reds, uh, one or two rosés. Uh, three or four sweet wines and some fortified. And Liz, what's happened to the modern table? It's still there, it's still doing events and other, right. yeah. So how many hours a day are there? <laughs> you I must be working want, all I, of them. I wouldn't want to have counted up last week's, but I think it will get easier. I mean, last week's was the opening week, so yeah. So bound to be bound to be busy. So but people can still contact you for events for the yeah, modern definitely. table? Yep. Yeah, definitely. You've been going for a week. What's the reaction been like? Very positive. A lot of people are very pleased that, we, that we're that we here and also that we're here in this particular location. Uh, the quality of the food, um, a lot of people are giving great feedback on. And in terms of the wine, they really like seeing 
such an interesting collection of wine, especially with older vintages and things that you wouldn't normally see in other places. Mm. Uh, next week is National Wine Week. Are you thinking of doing anything special to celebrate that? We are. We're looking at our, our lunch specials paired with um, some very nice English sparkling wines. We're looking at the, the Night Timber Blanc de Blanc with the Reuben sandwich. Um, and we're looking at the Rathfinny Blanc de Noir, which you don't see in many places, which is a bit full and richer. Going with um, a panzanella salad or... Our daily salad. Our daily salad. Which changes. Which changes regularly. <laughs> may, may or may not involve asparagus. Yeah, You'll have to watch this space. <laughs> okay. that's, that's our dynamic. Yeah. There's lots to recommend the wine rooms. Liz's cooking is imaginative, light and tasty uh, with great use of herbs. The wine selection is fantastic. The place is light and airy and the flowers on the table and the wall decorations celebrate its position opposite the Botanic Garden. It's just an ideal place to explore food and wine matches or just to have a casual graze with a drink. It's just not remotely precious. More news now. There's a new supper club opening in Willingham, a collaboration between the excellent Pudini and chef Ben Sulston, who has done stints at Midsummer House and the Fat Duck and won the Move and Pick Dessert Chef of the Year Award. More details on Pudini's social media. Brewboard's summer party has had to be postponed. It's moved from the 13th of July to the 18th of September. Uh, some rather bad news now. Uh, Justine and Matt Hatfield of the Flying Pig have been given six months' notice of closure. Now, not only does that mean they'll lose their business, which they've run for 24 years, but they'll also lose their home too. They live over the pub. And we on Flavour are shocked by this. It's another example of what's important locally being destroyed by big business. And I thought we were supposed to be taking back control. In better news... Tristan Welch at Parker's Tavern has reinstated the very popular Monday night's rubbish cooks. The food comes free, you pay just £20 for three courses of food that otherwise would have been thrown away quite unnecessarily. Book by emailing inquiries at parkerstavern.com. And some wine news now. Cambridge Wine School has an evening exploring the wines of Spain and Portugal on Tuesday the 22nd. That's at the Ibis Hotel Lounge by Cambridge Station, and it costs £30. On Wednesdays, there's an online tasting of the wines of Hungary, which is £16 per person. There's lots of other events coming up too. Just check out the Cambridge Wine School website. And that's the end of today's news items. If you have any news for us, please mail flavour at cambridge105.co.uk. Cows, pigs and onions, the principal ingredients of the Alsace region of France. All three ingredients which you can find adorning Amélie's Flomkouche skinny pizza, or at least one of their many topping variations. Alex Crepe runs Amélie Restaurant in the Grafton Centre, and they opened back in September 2018. I caught up with Alex this week because they have emerged from lockdown following a long look at their business to see what needed to be addressed. In Alex's own words... There's so many opportunities to come out fighting. What do we need to change? So we started looking bit by bit at every single corner of the business. The aesthetic, the menu offering, the way that the menu is presented, the staffing, the business model. Every single part, we broke it down and we just said, OK, let's improve it. And we had the time to. So that's what we did in the first lockdown. At the same time, we started doing the meal kits. Very popular meal kits, as it turned out. Delivered via Foodstuff, 
who we have mentioned before on the show. They're not like Deliveroo or the others. So Foodstuff is a local delivery company, independent, and they work with just independents. They're fantastic. They have a different business model to other companies. Cambridge independents are really a unity. They come together and that the delivery company or Foodstuff linked them all up and it was just it was just good. It was good, well done by professionals. Hats off to the chaps. I went to Bristol for a visit the other day and I saw Foodstuff's bags running around. I was like, well, it's so nice to see you go to the other side of the country. And then there's the same, like they've done well, they've done well, especially sprouting from the first lockdown. Home delivery meal kits worked really well for the Amelie business and they're still available now. Once the meal kits kicked off, we got an article in The Observer as well. So Jay Rayner mentioned us. I mean, overnight, the sales just skyrocketed, which was fantastic. And it wasn't even a mate. It wasn't an article that was just about us. It was Jay Rayner's review on a restaurant. And at the end of his article, he has bits of news. We were just bits of news. It was introducing these meal kits. And it was on a Sunday, woke up with the orders. I was like... I didn't even realise that the article had gone in the Observer and maybe, I don't know how it is in other towns or other parts, but a lot of our orders are for Scotland and for Wales as well. Maybe they don't have the same F&B or they don't have as many deliveries, I'm not too sure. But you'd see one order from that article and then a few days later they'd order four orders for each of the members of the family around the UK. And you could see it like happening live, this, this tree effect of different connections of word of mouth. And it was just really good to see, especially during lockdown where we weren't able to see the customers or see any of that. And it was a new business plan, a new business model. And it was great, great fun, really enjoyed it. And it's a, a good staple of our product now. Amelie Restaurant. I always wanted to open a business with my father. Restaurants was something that I've always been passionate about. And Flamkouche is really, really good. Like there's... It's just delicious and, and is a very thin crust base. It's yeast-free. It's older than pizza. It's from the 14th, 15th century. Countryside dish. In French, we say bison, but that directly translates as peasant. Thin, crispy, and then you get all the flavours on top. Now, in England, even in Cambridge, you've got some of the best pizza makers I've ever had. I mean, Scott's All Days is absolutely delicious, and there's some really good pizzas. Even Signorelli's as well. Can't fault them. We look like a pizza, although the taste is very different and the textures are very different, so we call it a skinny pizza. We're two millimetres thin. There's less calories in the base than there is in a normal pizza as well. And because of the fact there's no yeast, it doesn't leave you bloated. When you have a pizza, it's, it's, it's on you like for the rest of the day, whereas with a skinny pizza, you're full, you're satisfied, you've had a really good meal, but yet you're okay to have dinner later. Or it's not going to really fill you up. We've enlarged the flim couche menu. I think we've got 12 on now. Papa, tu peux me passer un menu, s'il te plaît? Oui. So we've got the new menu, which is going great. We've got a refurbished restaurant as well. It's fresh, it's light. And we are a European slash French restaurant, so it's got that air to it. It's great to be back open and seeing everyone. You really miss it over lockdown. Previously, we weren't exactly too happy with the frontage. I don't think it represented our product very well. Whereas now, I think it really represents how we wanted it to be presented originally. We knew that people won't know what a flemkouche is. It has to be visualized through photos. Often, when photos and menus are put in the same sentence, you're thinking of a British restaurant on the coast of Spain that's trying to sell you some fish and chips. Or, and, and that's not what we wanted. So we were trying to do it in a classy way. Don't get me wrong, Sticks and Sushi has a really good menu and they visualize everything. And I think it's by far the best menu you can ever get. Like, I really do love it. So we had photos at the front and it was great. It's just our menu changed, expanded. What we had at the front became outdated. Now we just wanted it to make it look fresh style and a welcoming restaurant. In fact, people still don't know what flamkouche is. We now call it skinny pizza. 
Flemkush is a word that it's been very difficult to... It's got a lot of consonants, a lot of vowels, and it's not an English word, it's a Germanic word. Even in France, they don't call it Flemkush, but they do call it Flemkush. But in some parts of France, they call it Tarflambe, because it's, it's, it's easier for them to pronounce, and it's, it's what they, they call it Flemkush. It was poor, yeah, it was, it's poor man's food. And it was to test the temperature of the ovens, they needed to put a bit of dough in when they were making the breads. Realised that that was waste, in those days you couldn't waste anything. And all those ingredients, we've got onions, bacon and creme fraiche, coming from the most basic of ingredients, cows, pigs and onions. Cheese, I think, came a little bit later on. But traditionally it was just creme fraiche, onions and bacon. Best things in life. This is where you get to choose your large or your small. And originally we would just offer creme fraiche, which is the traditional way. Now we offer tomato sauce. Removing or adding a few ingredients, depending on how you like it, we can make vegan. Uh, we have gluten-free alternatives as well. We're going to start introducing vegan cheese as well. Uh, we do get a lot of vegan demand around here. Cambridge has got a good vegan scene as well. You've got vegan vice just around the corner. They're phenomenal. A friend of mine started a vegan cheese factory, and he sent me a vegan blue cheese, which tastes, and I'm, I'm not selling it for him. It tasted like a blue cheese. It was obviously made with nuts, I think, and it was blue, it was a fungus with everything. It was awesome. So Cambridge, obviously, it's known around the world. Food-wise, it's, it's very much improving, and it's improving because of independence. And I've never seen such a, a following of independence in Cambridge and the community of, of, of people that... And, and also the independence community supporting each other. It's really nice to be part of that. Nothing against big chains, don't get me wrong, but I think there's more of a taste and there's more of a variety of different flavours that you could easily get in London, but you wouldn't get anywhere in this side of England, really. Alex said... We wanted to treat the coming out of lockdown like a new opening, hence the refurb, and refurb they have. Amelie is upstairs at the Grafton Centre's food social area next to La Latina Pastorante. And of course, when you think of Amelie, think of skinny pizza. Now, an unfortunate turn of events occurred on Thursday just gone, with news of the Grafton Centre being sold off. Maybe in whole or just in part, no one really knows yet, as it will depend on who the new owner is. The current owner is Legal and General, who've had it for the last six years. It certainly puts Amelie, La Latina Bastorante, Signorelis, and the others who've made it through Covid and Brexit only to face this. But nothing is set in stone yet, and as Grafton manager John O'Shea said, Everything in the Grafton is still very much open for business as usual, and we look forward to welcoming our customers. English Wine Week begins today, and there's another celebration taking place at Great Britannia in Arbury Road, which specialises in English and Welsh wines. I spoke with owner Matt Hodgson. I gather we've got some things to celebrate, Matt. Is that right? Hello, Sue. Yes, yes, we, we do. We've got a couple of things, actually. So one of them's personal to us. It's actually our second birthday at Great Britannia on June the 21st. Can't quite believe where the last two years have gone. They've flown by. It's the last one in quite unusual circumstances, obviously. The, the second thing is English Wine Week from Saturday the 19th of June through to Sunday the 27th. So stretching the definition uh, of a week a little bit, but uh, nine days to celebrate. And of course, one of the best things about Great Britannia is that it specialises in English wines. That's correct, isn't it, Matt? That's right. Absolutely everything we sell is produced in, uh, in England, apart from a handful of wines from Wales. But yes, they're, they're all, from, all from here um, in the United Kingdom. We've got over 200, actually, I think now closing in on 225 English wines in our shop, which is uh, a selection you won't find anywhere else. 
Why is it that we've had such a resurgence in English wine growing? Because this is something that really has been around since the Romans, but it's been up and down in terms of production and popularity, isn't it? That's right. It kind of fell out of favour. I mean, there's been pockets, small pockets of vines across the country for most of the time since the Romans, as you say. But as, if you look at the start of the 20th century, it had all but disappeared. And then there's, there's a start of a resurgence second half of the 20th century, but it was only really this century um, that things have started to boom, and uh, it was all down to one far-sighted producer down in Sussex called Neutember, who decided that actually an amazing sparkling wine, a bit like champagne, could be made here in this country. So they, they set out to do that. Most people thought it couldn't be done, and they started winning international awards, and that was really the start of it. And ever since then, things have just been booming, partly, I expect, it's to do with um, the warming climate that we're all getting. England's very marginal for growing grapes to be ripe enough to be made into wine. But these days, pretty much every uh, every year we get the, the right conditions for it. So um, the quality of these days is, is absolutely phenomenal. And I gather English wines can actually beat French wines, dare I say it, in certain wine tastings. Oh, absolutely, yeah, that, that's certainly true. I mean, in some uh, competitions, the English wines have come off with top awards and Because also it's geographical, isn't it? That there's some chalk deposits in England that match those in the Champagne region. some of the more recent developments that we've had you said that there's been some news in particularly in the English wine front from your point of view for Great Britannia but also for English wines. last year was one of those uh, years that let's say I don't think anyone's going to forget and we're not still quite over it so how have you fared as a, a wine shop? that we've been able to reopen that 
what about wine tastings then? Did you do online wine tastings? Because I think that's been an interesting way in which people have changed doing things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we certainly did have to adapt in that respect as well and, and do our tastings online. And, you know, I, I love seeing people in the shop and doing tastings there. But uh, actually, there's, there's something about the convenience of an online tasting for, for people as well that actually works really well. So actually, just this last Sunday, which um, happens to be uh, the end of Welsh Wine Week, we did what we're calling a hybrid event. So we actually had a few people in the shop, um, just as many as we could sit in socially distance. But we also um, had sent out uh, small sample bottles of the, the five different Welsh wines people so we had a big screen in the corner of the shop we had the vineyard owner from white castle vineyard in wales on there we tasted the wine in people in the shop and the people with the sample bottles and had a fantastic discussion and learned all about the wine from the vineyard from the, the vineyard owner and it seemed to work really well actually had really good feedback on it well that's a very clever idea because obviously with a wine tasting you can't necessarily unless you're visiting a vineyard you can't get to meet the the producer of the wines that sounds like a very clever idea indeed they're very engaging people with a massive passion for what they're doing and that, that normally comes through um, in, uh, in the conversations that we, we have and uh, actually it was delightful um, that Robert Whitecastle had managed to sit himself outside and we had this glorious view of the, of the vineyard um, on the hill rolling up behind him with the, the setting evening sun. It's, it's rather glorious. Will you carry on these things, do you think? Definitely have um, more and more events uh, in the special things are you going to be doing for English Wine Week that's coming up? Yeah, well, we've, we've got um, quite a few wines that we're going to be um, doing some sampling uh, for. So if you can come down to the shop, which is at 1A Arbury Road in Cambridge, we'll have some lovely English white wines for you to try. And have you got, because um, at one stage, I think you were doing sort of food and nibbles, weren't you? Are you still doing that or will that be starting up again soon? Yeah, we, we're not doing it quite yet. Still sort of coming out of the COVID I can think of having some nice English cheeses to go with some English wines. That sounds really good fun, actually. Absolutely, or even, uh, even some fish and chips from just around the corner to go with sparkling wine. It's a classic combination. After English Wine Week, are there any other events going to be happening over the summer, Matt? Yes, certainly, Sue. We're, we're going to do more of the, the tasting event kind I've just described so people can have a look on our website in, in our shop section. We, we list out all the events there. We'll probably promote them on Facebook and Instagram as well. To find out more about it there and uh, yeah just, just very much looking forward to welcoming people um, back into, into the shop and the bar area there's green onions signaling the start of our job section 
Uh, there's a large number of vacancies in the Cambridge area. Here's a few on our list uh, and we suggest that you check with the company concerned for more information. Uh, popping in at a quiet time can be a good approach. Hot numbers in both Cambridge and Shepworth needs a brunch chef. Browns in Trumpington Street is looking for a chef, sous chef, a commis chef and a chef de partie. Mercado Central in Green Street is looking for chefs, both full and part-time. The Mitre in Bridge Street needs a full-time chef. A chef de partie is needed by Stem and Glory in Station Road. A grill chef is required at Gourmet Burger Kitchen in Regent Street. Honest Burger in Wheeler Street wants a chef and a full-time member of the kitchen team. Novi in Regent Street needs a sous chef. Amelie in the Grafton Centre is looking for a sous chef or a chef de partie and kitchen manager. The Fish Butchery in Mill Road needs front of house staff. Core times will be Wednesday to Sundays 5 to 9pm, but there is some possible flexibility. Send your CV to info at fin-boys.com. And that takes us to the end of our programme for today. We're here on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm, and of course we will be available by podcast early in the next week. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1 o'clock will be Sports Special, and I'll return tonight at 8 on Paul Christophoro's Rock of Ages, where I'll be talking about and playing some tracks from the Forever Changes album by the legendary band Love. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 3rd of July with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. Uh, But until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. 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 Goodbye.